If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. <laughs> we had a um you know like the the summer youth camps you go to when you're baptist <laughs> like the yes you guys, maybe i mean this may be different in virginia we had like a sleepaway camp that it was called which one was this it was summit lake i think in virginia that we would go to as high you, you had to be like a certain grade of high school to go and it was like a big deal and the whole youth group went and um made new friends that were just for a weekend and you pretend like you're going to write each other letters and you never do like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. You're my best friend forever. And mm-hmm. I never talked to you again, but, um, there was, I swear there was one year they had pizza the first night we got there. And then what people didn't eat of the pizza. And this is what baffles me is like, I, I don't know how there were leftover pizzas. Like right. there was a, like a gym full of teenagers. I don't know how they had leftover pizzas, but like the pizzas that they had left over, they had just like stacked them along the boxes along the side. And I guess just to get rid of, they were going to throw them away mm-hmm. because they hadn't been refrigerated since Friday night oh, and damn. Sunday morning, <laughs> oh, we shit. dared someone oh, no. <laughs> to take one of those, a sausage pizza, a piece oh, of sausage no. pizza. And they ended up covering it with like oatmeal and syrup and one other thing. Mm. And ate the whole thing. And I was just like, mm. I'm thinking about this now. And I'm like, why is this entertaining? Like, mm. why is this Because you were fun? hoping he would die, I don't obviously. know, man. It's like, this will oh be great. Yeah. Your, your hospital visits will be fun. Church camp. Church camp. Yeah. Where everybody has sex for the first time. And is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Somebody, somebody didn't tell me about that. <laughs> Not me. I didn't have um, sex for the first time at church camp. So kind of like man camp. I'm pretty sure. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, so nope, not going to tell anybody's tales. That I went to. I mean, mm-hmm. I hopped around from churches. I mean, start out Episcopalian, then Methodist, and um, of course, I'd visit everybody else's church. You know, my friends, Baptists, Mormons. Church of Christ, like you knew all the things. I knew all the things. So, um, however, I was in high school when we were attending the Methodist church, and we did go to a Methodist like Lake Junluska in North Carolina, um, which was a lot of fun. And I'm trying to remember. I don't think anybody had sex back then. <laughs> if they did, people didn't have sex back then. <laughs> they should. <laughs> Not that old. It's just the way you said it. I wasn't saying it. You said it. Um, I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, I don't remember anybody like going off like that yet. I don't know. We always coupled up. It was a very incestuous little youth group. Like everybody had dated everybody. Yeah. But I was just assuming that nobody had had sex because I hadn't had sex. And I believe I was very mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I was at the wrong church camp. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Patrice. (laughs) Hi, Marleya. We're drinking uh, blackberry Mm. mojitos right now. Mm -hmm. Cheers, bartender Courtney. Cheers. Cheers. Delicious. and I guess we should probably, I, even though I think this was a, in a subconscious connection, like we should probably thank Thomas if he is listening because oh, yeah. he mentioned blackberry mojitos to us mm. and I may or may not have Which mentioned I, them to you. I, no, I, I didn't Oh, so hear. it's just it a was, confluence of like, right. Well, I think God I was wants doing, I have, yes. Well, I love blackberries anyway, and we have blackberries in a lot of our graphics. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I guess subconsciously after like, we did a coffee cup. Good segue. Yeah. We did a coffee cup. So we're now on Redbubble, and I'll put a link on the website, and I'll probably post this pretty soon on, on social media, uh, where you can buy a coffee cup with our logo, the skull and uh, crow logo, and it's got blackberries around it because that's something that I truly identify as Southern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking, blackberries, God, that'd be so good because my grandmother used to make the best blackberry cobbler from mm. like wild blackberries that grew. And um, 
And then I just happened to, like, I don't know, I guess Facebook, like, read my brain. Like they do. No, actually, I don't think it was Facebook. It was was Insta- it Alexa? It was Instagram. Oh. No, I have so many things that can read my brain, and I wish they would do a better job of telling me what it says, because <laughs> I forget a lot. Um, but it was Instagram, and I followed this uh, cocktail recipes, and it just popped up, blackberry mojito, and I'm like, well, it that must good. be fate. Mm-hmm. It is, then, because... We had somebody recommend us yes. one, too. So, so, yeah, it's fate. It is fate. And it's good. Mm-hmm. We thought it was going to be way too sweet. Mm-hmm. It's not as sweet as it looked, yeah. No, it definitely is not. And if you eat it with habanero almonds, mm-hmm. barbecue mm-hmm. almonds. So it's a pretty nice little smoky. It's a nice, smoky, salty balance to the Next sweet. time we just a little dash of liquid smoke in there, and we'll <sighs> be like. <laughs> Courtney's like, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we started out with a little tiny shot of that pickle moonshine that she brought. Oh. Over yes, to try pickle moon, moon moonshine, moonshine. If you haven't tried it, is, which you probably haven't, because which yeah, I think who this, does? this is totally homemade hooch from somebody that right? we know through somebody through somebody else. <laughs> but if you ever run across pickled moonshine and you like pickles and olives and all the pickled stuff, try it. It is delicious. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So a couple of things I want to talk about today. Uh, we were contacted by Asher um, Elbin, I, I guess you say. Elbin? Elbin? I'd have to look again. I'm so know. sorry. Um, Asher, I just slaughtered your last name. <laughs> uh, but he contacted us and he was like, hey, I just caught your PodX um, podcast and you were talking about the Pentecostal serpent. Uh He's like, I wanted to say, I wrote that article, which he did on The Bitter Southerner, and I just wanted to tell you how much I like the podcast, and he told me about this book that we're waiting for, and we'll talk more about it once we get it, but he reached out, and he was just like, hey, thanks for doing the article, that it's linked on the website, and I forget which, oh, it's episode it was our PodX episode, right? Right, our PodX episode uh, where we talk about the snake handlers. And I pulled a lot of info from his article. And I panicked a little bit at first because, like, oh, shit, I did credit him, didn't I, somewhere? <laughs> oh, my God. Because that's my fear is, like, referencing somebody's uh, article. And then they come back and, like, hey, you know, because I didn't reference them. But I try really hard yeah. to, like, give credit where credit's due. If not on air, it's definitely on the website. Yes. Um but anyway, so he wrote that piece uh, a couple of years back, and he was just, like, checking us out and um, sending us some stuff. I mean, anybody send us stuff. We're like, yes, thanks. Thanks. Of course, it took me, like, 20 minutes to find our freaking new P.O. box because I was like, hold on, oh, please. That's right. I need to write that down. <laughs> so um, I finally found it, which if you ask me right now, I fucking cannot remember it. <laughs> Actually, it's P.O. box 1091. Oh, Jacksonville, Alabama, three six two six five. So, remembered it. have we ever checked it? I did. I checked it yesterday. Oh, that's good. <laughs> like, has anyone sent us anything? Yeah, no. Just I mean, <laughs> the post office sent us some just post office crap, which I immediately threw away. Um, so that and, and uh, you know, shout out too because the Bitter Southerner. I'm a member of oh the my Bitter gosh, Southerner. Me too. And if you're, I was going to say, if you're not, you should you, you should. should do a membership if because not, they also send you a bunch t- of awesome t-shirts. swag, yeah. t-shirts and bumper stickers, and I fucking got coffee. And they do I mean, cool stuff. And yes, that coffee cool. is delicious. Oh, I mean, who? Who, I mean, I'm sorry, we're not sending out coffee because if we had a bazillion dollars, I would send out coffee to everybody that does the pa- uh, Patreon with us, but we don't have that because that is such, that is like top level stuff. We yes, love the Bitter is. Southerner and their articles and photography are just amazing yeah and we've talked about them several times before because we get a lot of like we salted nanny originally i think Mm -hmm. came from them right there were yeah there were several that you know we've referenced yeah because they're doing the folk great work yeah Yeah. they're doing folklore project um which again if you haven't heard of the bitter southerner please go over there quality writers quality photographers um just the whole production is top notch um go give them your support and talking about maybe not so top-notch quality. Okay. <laughs> Actually, they've been around. I mean, we've talked about Coast to Coast AM um, for a while, but, you know, definitely different than the Bitter Southerner. Um, different different business model and plan and whatnot, I guess. But 
I subscribe to their newsletter. And honestly, it is the only newsletter. I mean, I subscribe to Bitter Southerner, but I've run across them in social media more than checking my email. Yeah. But I specifically check my email for coast to coast newsletter because it does not disappoint. (laughs) There is always something amazing. So I was checking it yesterday and I came across Alabama cops bust crop circle makers. So this happened within the past couple of days, like the 26th, 27th, 24th, this week. It was this week and they covered it on coast to coast AM, right? So according to like local media reports in Etowah County, uh, arrested five individuals who were responsible for crafting a rudimentary design <laughs> in a cornfield located in the community of Ball Play. Oh, no, they I don't. Ball Play. That's the like Roy Webb Road. Yeah, oh, that's wow. Ball Play. Is, it's it's the Klan capital of Alabama. Oh <laughs> like, wow! Was it a penis? Wow! That's what I want to know. Okay, <laughs> hold that thought. Okay. <laughs> So, Etowah County Sheriff says that the group apparently plowed into the field using a pickup truck and then seemingly created circles in a manner <laughs> akin <laughs> to doing donuts in a parking lot. I like that, akin. <laughs> uh, they did about uh, $7,500 worth of damage. I bet. And uh, consider, they said, considering the haphazard manner in which the formation was made, it is hard to believe that the group had a specific design <laughs> in mind. I beg to differ. Hold on. <laughs> um, aside from perhaps large circles, uh, that said, the ill-conceived creation does kind of resemble a mermaid, although that's just our rechork. Uh, Ken Rorschach. Rorschach. Thank you. Rorschach. I'm going to get there. That's a rough word. There's so Rorschachian. Yeah. Uh, Take on the unsightly blotch left on the field. I'm going to put a picture of this crop circle because they did an overhead uh, picture of it. That is not a fucking mermaid. That's a dick. It is a dick. It is a really weird looking dick, but it was a dick. (laughs) That's just, like I said, coast to coast AM. That's amazing. Does not disappoint. And they do. Huh? That was on coast to coast. It was the first thing I saw. Alabama. Since I saw Alabama, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Dick crop circles. Dick cross circles. (laughs) (laughs) Crop circles. It was, uh, I'll put it up. It it was pretty recent, though. (laughs) Like, it was, it was this week. Oh, my gosh. That was so funny, though. Am I going first today? I couldn't remember. Did you go first? I think you're going first. Okay. Yes, because yes. you went second. You yes. did. You did vampires. I last did vampires. Week. Yes. Right. Warshakian. Warshakian. Yeah, I've never heard it like conjugated that right. way. Because <laughs> it's Warshak usually, right? Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having to drink some of this delicious cocktail. It sounds cocktail. like a. It sounds like a Star Trek. Like, it does. Race of start at the Rorschachians. The Rorschachians. Okay. So, when I was young, I used to spend the night over a friend's house. It lived like a couple of blocks from us. And she was a lot of fun. She still is a lot of fun. But uh, this was like the first time I've ever spent the night over at her house. And we were getting ready to go to bed. And we just like walked down the hall to go into her room. And we were both sleeping like she had like one of those canopy beds and stuff like that oh i always loved it when a friend had the canopy bed i was like oh that's so cool you're like a princess and so she stops at the door and she's like okay we must have been like maybe uh you know 11 or 12 and she goes okay she's like you cannot just walk up to the bed you have to run and leap otherwise whatever's under the bed's gonna grab your ankles Uh. and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> in my 11 or 12 year old speak, right? Because at that point, the only thing that I was worried about was actually little boys floating outside my windows, tapping on it, saying, let me in. <laughs> and so the idea that there could be something fucking under my bed took my panic to a whole new level. However, her dad was a really big prankster. 
So during Halloween, we always kind of had to watch our backs because he would be the one like in the werewolf costume that would be outside the window and like scare the fuck out of everybody. Like where we're puking up candy and stuff. <laughs> he was like one of those that would just take it just slightly too far. Right. It's like there's the appropriate level of scaring young children. And then there's the slightly diving into too much. Making them pee themselves level. Right. Thinking about that, you know, and she told me to jump. I fucking jumped into that bed, right? I cleared it like an Olympic track star, like when I stepped on the snake. Obviously, my younger self had a bunch of Olympic um, Olympic go. Maybe I should have worked a little bit harder at that. <laughs> so we did that. And it, that got me thinking about this urban legend about that I'm going to tell you about. So a man and a woman, and this is, this is the urban legend part a man and a woman went to las vegas for their honeymoon and don't worry we're gonna get back to the south (laughs) a man and a woman went to las vegas for their honeymoon um and they checked into this hotel when they got there in their rooms they both detected kind of a bad odor the husband called down the front desk and asked to speak to the manager he then explained that the room smelled very bad and they would like another suite Well, the manager says, I am deeply sorry, but they are booked because of a convention and they didn't have any other available rooms. So he offered to send them to a restaurant of their choice for complimentary blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And um, then he was going to send a maid up to their room to clean and try to get rid of the odor. So after lunch, the couple went back to their room and when they walked in, they could both still smell that odor. And again, the husband called down to the front desk and told the manager that the room still smelled really bad. And the manager told the man that they would try and find a suite at another hotel. So he called every other hotel on the strip and all the hotels were sold out because of the convention. Fucking, I have been there. Mm -hmm. That's happened to me. Um, Not the smell, but the shit out of luck with hotels. Um, So they would go back and they would try to clean the room again. So the couple wanted to see the sights and do a little gambling anyway. So they would give them about two hours to clean and then they went back. When the couple left, the manager and all the housekeeping went to the room to try to find out what was making the room smell so bad. They searched the entire room and found nothing. So the maids changed the sheets, changed the towels, took down the curtains, put up new ones, cleaned the carpet, cleaned the suite again, and they used like the strongest cleaning products that they had. The couple came back two hours later and found the room still had a bad odor. The husband was so angry at this point because it was their honeymoon and the smell is like interrupting all all the things, right? <laughs> all the all things. the things. And uh, he decided, you know, to find whatever the smell was himself. So he started tearing the entire suite apart. <laughs> As he pulled the top of the mattress off the box spring, he found a dead body of a woman. Mm. So that is the legend and the urban folklore, urban tale. Um, however, that is actually based on a whole lot of truth. Uh. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of smart, right? Hide the body. Well, <laughs> let me mattress. tell you how smart it is because it's fucking done a lot, oh right? Oh so, God. in August of 1994 in Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, when it's fucking hot as shit. So, uh, August is definitely the hottest month in the South. Mm. It's like our true apex of summer it's hell it is hell um hotel staff discovered the body of 47 year old brian gregory who was tucked under a platform bed (gasps) although the staff had themselves noticed the strange smell for days they only set about looking for it after a german couple spent the night in the room and afterwards complained about the odor oh my god and i bet they had sex there (laughs) oh (laughs) wow Okay. <laughs> She's like, wow, you just... Wow. Yeah, no, no. But obviously, I don't know. Listen to this. Okay. So, again, in March 1994, the same year, or actually a little bit before then. I don't know why I did it in my order. Um, body of 24-year-old Josefina Martinez was found underneath the bed at a traveler's hotel near Miami International Airport. Again, the discovery was prompted by an aggravated German tourist <laughs> upset <laughs> about the foul old odor in his room so this article i was reading is like a lot of german tourists are like not happy with the dead bodies buried under their beds maybe they're and killing people well you're right in 1999 and this is in atlantic city but again there's a connection um 
the rapid decomposing bodies Ooh. of a 64-year-old man was discovered in a room in the Burgundy Motor Inn in Atlantic City, New Jersey, because a German couple had spent the night <laughs> sleeping over the sky, and their complaint to the manager about the smell in the room, which led to finding the corpse. Oh, my God. I know. I was like... This is conspiracy German connection here. What the hell? It's weird. So let's talk about, there's two that I want to go into a little bit more detail about as far as bodies under the bed. So in Virginia in 1989, uh, Jerry Lee Dunbar disposed of the remains of two victims. One was 27-year-old Deidre Smith and the other, oh, who was discovered in May. Okay. And the other, uh, Oh, she was discovered under the floor of a motel room um, on Highway 1. I don't know why I put that in there. Like, anybody fucking knows where Highway 1 is I do. in Virginia? I do. You do? I'm from Virginia. Oh, Route okay. 1's a big deal. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Motel room, Route 1. And then 29-year-old Marilyn Graham turned up under the bed in an ex- Alexandria um, Eco Lodge uh, that same year, oh. but like a month later. In Smith's case... What year was this again? This is 1989. Okay, good. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I had just moved there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. In, in Smith's case, the killer first kept her body partially hidden under the bed for two days. I read up a little bit more on him. He It was basically a, a drug sex thing. So mm. they were all doing coke. And one of them, maybe Deidre Smith. I'm sorry. I, I don't remember which, which girl... Uh, was like a former debutante, but got into drugs and just like went downhill. So her and this other girl um, met with Jerry Lee Dunbar and had sex and did coke and he killed them. So, you know, uh, and he like hid them, them under the bed and uh, then hid one of them, you know, in one hotel and one in the other. Wow. So, but, you know, he kept the bodies first and they, he placed it under the crawl space and he like lived with them. He lived in that hotel room for like three or four weeks. Um, and both girls' bodies were eventually found after other guests complains, uh, complained about the stink. Oh my God. And then my final um, piece here, which. All of this is really sad. I mean, just for whatever reason, this one is, you know, so that was probably, you know, just horrible people, right? Um, This guy, this is more domestic violence. So January 27th, um, which is equally as horrible, sorry. Uh, Sunny Millbrook was reported missing to the Memphis police after she failed to pick up her children from school. Family members advised officers, and they checked the hotel where she had been staying, um, and obviously she wasn't there. Uh, she had been staying in room 222 at Budget End and was last seen there at 7 that morning by a staff member uh, who told officers that, you know, the room had been locked up that day for lack of payment, but all of her personal belong- belongings were still there in the apartment. And so they assigned the case to missing persons there in Memphis, but upon following up, they decided that it really needed to go to homicide. And so in February, it went to homicide, and homicide investigators um, started doing follow-up with, you know, the budget in where she uh, was last seen and spoke to the clerks and security guard and all that, and again, learned that she didn't make the payment um, she didn't make the payment at January 26th, which led to her room being locked. And But all of her belongings were still there, so they just boxed them up um, and released, uh, you know, when she came back in. But they released the room for rental. Mm-hmm. 47 days later, oh. they um, homicide investigators were called to room 222 because the body of a female had been located under the bed <gasps> after a report of a bad odor in the room. The body was identified as Millbrooks and was apparently a victim of homicide. The bed in which the victim was located in was a box, a metal box frame, which was set directly onto the floor. And then the box springs and mattress set inside the metal frame. The room had been rented out approximately five times and cleaned by the um, hotel staff numerous times since the death. Uh, They... 
located her boyfriend, Lakeith Moody, and interrogated him. And they ended up eventually arresting him for the murder because he had her um, EBT card and was using it like when it renewed at the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. And also got him like on gun charges, felony gun charges or something like that. But she Ugh. had been like five people have like stayed in that room oh on top of God. a dead body for like three months. Oh my God. Two months. However long that is. Right. You know, I, I was spending a lot of time thinking like the maid services shit in these you places. But then I re- like when you said like, yeah, a lot of them do have those metal boxes that the bed is set on like the platform. Right. And I didn't ever think that it was hollow, but I guess it probably would be. So the, the thing here, when I was reading about the urban legend, because I found the legend first, and then it says, and this is possibly true. It's probably, you know, a true urban legend. But the urban legend, I was like, well, if they sent them there and they changed the sheets, obviously somebody should have found it. And that's why it's an urban legend, because, you know, it makes a good story if they don't find the body. But fuck, nobody finds the body. Yeah. I mean, in all of these, and that was just half of the body under the bed um, in a hotel room, people that I have found just within oh, the wow. last 20 years. So it has done a lot, Gross. apparently, and apparently nobody fucking thinks to look under the bed for the boogeyman or anything, right? Uh, so well, but if you're changing the bed, you would get a whiff of dead. You should. You I would should. Think you, you should realize that that's the vicinity it's coming from, yeah. right? Like, but you know, I mean, it's not like you know housekeeping staff is super well paid true either. so i mean they're trying they're to probably, get in and out and yeah. it's not my business if your hotel room yeah like shit. i mean and i don't blame them for that no either. i don't who either wants to be the i mean also even and he if wants you to get, clean who up wants that to shit. be that person that finds the dead guy you know yes oh jesus exactly. Christ. so maybe we should start questioning our urban legends more often and definitely check under the bed what's the next hotel room i'm staying in <laughs> it's foley all right and even air <laughs> Airbnbs, if you think about it, you know, I'm starting to. Oh, like, God. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> no. So you're welcome. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm very, I'm really, really smell sensitive. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Randy here. makes fun of me all the time because he's just like, I don't smell it. I don't smell it. And I, mm-hmm. if there's like a hint of, I over dry all my clothes because if they stay damp at all, oh, and they hint get any of hint of that mildew smell, mm-hmm. I can't wear them. Oh, yeah. Like I walk around all day and, and my brain is just on fire stink. because I can't stand it. I'm the same way. And uh, so it's like I'm really smell sensitive. So I can't, I, I would like to think that I could never be in a room that had that odor and right. not leave, right? And not leave, yeah. But if I'm the only one that smells it, I'd just be like, God damn it, I'm doing it again. Right, or <laughs> like, yeah. Fine, we'll just go something. to sleep. Yes. And, and, I, and I think that's lavender oil under my nose. <laughs> and I think that's a lot of, of what happens here. And honestly, I mean, some of these hotel rooms that this happens in, they are not in the best kept shape. Mm-hmm. So they're probably, you know, mildew odor. Yeah, there are uh, other, other smells, other to, smells contend to contend with. Other smells to contend with. Yeah, I am exactly the same way. And because my cats like to kill things. Oh, God. Um, and not completely eat them. Like, just walking in the house um, from grocery shopping this morning, I smelled something. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I I, don't even know where it is. It's not in my house, but it's, like, right outside. And I was just making sure nobody was, like, rolling around in it. Because that's <laughs> what they like to do. Ours, I have, I'm allergic to cats and we got a cat years ago because we live in the woods and we have mice. Right. And, um, they, so they like, we had had problems with this one portion of the wall. We had had an odor coming from it and I couldn't, it was when my office was in my basement room, which is now my, my living room. And, um, and I would sit there during the day and like fixate on, I know it's here somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there's something dead here somewhere. To where I got to the point where I got a crowbar out and started taking my fucking walls down to find it. Yes. And I found one. 
And it was, you know, it was a recently deceased mouse. Then again, there was one under my couch for a while. I didn't even know it was there. Oh, well, but like, yeah. you know, when we finally redid a portion of the basement, we pulled a big bunch of planking off the wall because it was that old 70s um, right. paneling. paneling yes. And we pulled a big panel off the wall and realized that there was like the poltergeist pool of mice Ugh. in my wall. Oh, my that, God. Like, they had walked along the crawl space, the, like the faux ceiling up there, and they would fall in between. <laughs> between the the studs and they could not get out so you would hear this like oh, as they died no. like that means that everyone that fell fell into a just a pool of skeletons oh, and, like, it, it was died yeah, in totally terror. the poltergeist pool like, <laughs> bless their little scurry hearts because there were probably 12 oh, there were probably 12 mouse skeletons God. in there and most of them would have been from even like from before we moved in but like, because there had been, there was that one that I had heard him going tick, 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 mm-hmm. for days before I realized that like mm-hmm. there was this odor and everything, but oh well, my God. Yeah. So, there you so go. our, yeah. And our cats, our first episode, my cat brought in a chipmunk, yeah. right? I <laughs> yes. mean, just plain as day. She like brought it in like a little baby kitten in her mm-hmm. mouth and then dropped it and let it run free. Oh, and we had so figured, she, we figured she'd been doing this for a while and we didn't fucking know about it because mm-hmm. two summers ago, we had, y'all, I thought my house was possessed because we had Amityville horror flies. Like, we probably oh. had 5,000 flies in our house. And we went around, it was like, this is, these are like, they're the big green kind that come from dead bodies, oh, right? Oh, God, no. And so we, like, searched the house because I've got a good smeller too. So I was like smelling walls, smelling under couches, smelling <laughs> like under on beds. all fours. Just yes, like at the baseboard. I, I was hound dogging it, right? <laughs> That sounds really bad. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I, went, I covered this house. It's like, Chad, I do not, I don't smell anything. I can't tell where these flies are coming from. We could not find the origin of the flies. But we had like in every room at least five fly catchers and they would fill up within a day. I remember and it we was had those up there. horrible. I was like, we got demons. That's the only reason <laughs> that we have. This is the exorcist This right is here. the exorcist. This is Amityville right here. We are living it now. And it was, it would drive us crazy. Um, and I never found it. And then she started bringing chipmunks in. I was like, well, that's probably what happened. Uh-huh. It probably like crawled into a vent way down deep. And then that's just. Yeah. Because eventually they, they just stop smelling. Right. Like they just are petrified and yeah. whatever, you know. Right. Blah. I know. Blah. <laughs> so check under oh, your beds. <laughs> the look on Courtney's face right now is pretty priceless. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, let's take a quick break. Yes. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. (laughs) So I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the Strange South, Mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. But it's not like clinically OCD. I feel like it's just a, it, it is a weird level now, of sensitivity. I really it, think it's a genuine, like, I actually do smell the things and I cannot, I can't. Well, yeah. Well, it's, and my thing that always gets me that I will not rest until I discover Thank you. is burnt electronics. If I smell mm. a burnt electronic smell, I am not resting because I think my house is going to burn down. Oh, yeah. I was like, or that's my car a really good reason to not is rest. going to like, and, and I'll go get Chad. I'm like, do you smell it? And we will like sit there and like smell for 30 minutes until we figure <laughs> out what the hell it is. And usually it'd be like, I just made coffee, Patrice, because my husband's <laughs> coffee smells like fucking burnt electronics. <laughs> I don't know what he does to it, but... You know, I always wanted a husband who would, like, make coffee in the morning. Because it took Chad 13 years of our marriage before he even started drinking coffee. And I've been drinking coffee. Yes. 
Yes. No way. I introduced Chad to coffee and basically forced him because I'm such a big coffee drinker. Oh my God. He's such a coffee snob. And now now he's such a coffee. Well, you know, if he does anything, he goes full on. Yeah. That's, that's just his personality. He's a coffee connoisseur. He is a coffee connoisseur now, but he would make like this ridiculously strong, bitter coffee in the morning. And now I wake up and I'm like, what's burning? And it's just his coffee because it's so (laughs) dark and just gross. <laughs> Just gross. That's like that is not the coffee I want to wake up to in the morning. <laughs> what is that's what my Ruined mom used to say? It's the coffee that like you put the spoon in and it just stands up there and waits for you. Oh, it's tar. It's that's awful. the way my mom used to make coffee, really really strong, but now it's not. I hate to break it to her. I don't know if she I doubt she listens to the podcast. <laughs> but um <laughs> She she thinks she makes strong coffee still, but she does not. Mm-hmm. I have eclipsed her a long right. time ago. So you make really good coffee, Marley. Mm-hmm. Yours is like perfect. Well, I'm like I'm I'm Community. I'm a brand loyal <laughs> yeah. right. and coffee snob myself, kind of. <laughs> mm. Gotta have that Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Louisiana coffee. Um. All right. So, I got this story. This is actually funny. So, this past week. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I was staying in Tennessee with my best friend from high school. We've known each other for, you know, ages because we're old. And um, her son is my god's. Wait, is Alex my godson? Anyways, um, both of her kids are. I've I've known them since they were babies. We're all we're all very close. I don't have a ton of like really close friends, and she's she's the only person that I talk to from high school like right. every week or a couple times a week. Like we talk a lot. So it was really good to see her because we hadn't gotten together in two years and the kids hadn't seen each other in forever. So we had a blast. We were at this little like Wyndham. She had a timeshare and she traded it out. And so we got this random, randomly located somewhere between Winchester and Jacksonville, which ended up in Crossville, Tennessee. And um, her son. Now, this is I'm I'm flat out saying if you're listening, Jesse, you just you can eat this because I did tell you this. I did not recommend her son to listen to my show. <laughs> I have never approved of Alex listening to the show. Alex, if you're listening, stop but, right um, now. Go well, play Minecraft or Fortnite or something. Alex did get to the, uh, he's about to get to the fucking aliens episode. And I messaged Jessica this morning and was like, um, you might want to just, <laughs> just a heads up. This is, might be the one that you really, really, really don't want him to get into. There are a lot of conversations coming to you. This is where you go. But um, anyway, he's like, he's our biggest fan, just so you know. (laughs) Um, He's a huge fan. He says he is our man on the ground in West Virginia. He's 12. (laughs) He turns 13 in September. Uh Oh, Um, not what we want. I know, right? (laughs) So there you go. But um, she had actually asked, she had told me all this before I went to meet them. And she was like, is there, you know, if you find a story or something that you want to research when you're in Tennessee, I know he would absolutely just love it if he could go with you. Mm -hmm. And so, and I've done this before, though. This is probably the last time I'm even going to try to do this. I did not succeed in finding a story in that area that I could do with him. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. because we, we got to be chill and relaxed and just hang out. When Courtney and I went to Charleston and when we went with Randy to Savannah I got so like fixated on trying to find the right story oh. that I don't think I had as much fun as I should have. You know what? I think <laughs> you know? I think it just needs to happen. You just need to I like so put too. it out in the yeah. universe and know that it's going to come to you and that you should not go to it. Yeah. So so I'm no longer going to plan my vacations around finding stories. But um but you know, I did I looked at several things and there were several just random little weird ass things in the area. Um but you know, we were there the last day. I guess we left on Thursday morning. And Jessica had been going through her Facebook memories and old pictures and stuff that she and I, like, you can do this little friendship thing on Facebook where you can see all the things you've shared. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember if we got into this because she was looking for a recipe she shared with me years ago or what, but she kind of went down the rabbit trail of all the things she sent me. And in 2014, she had sent me this news story about an abandoned West Virginia amusement park. And she was like... Oh, I figured this is right up your alley. I know you'll enjoy it. And she pointed it out to me and resent it to me because I asked her to. And I looked at it and I was like, well, you just did all my work for me for this week because this is what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she sent it to me because I like to take photos of abandoned things like you know and lots of people do it's like a huge right look all over instagram you can find people who do it but it's just kind of fascinating to see like where 
human stuff gets eaten up by the rest of the world. You right. Know? Like Where again, nature takes over. It gets taken back, you know. Right. And I kinda I I'm it's beautiful. I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. <clears throat> but I had taken some photos on my way home from another trip of a random roadside attraction. And so she had sent me this. So this is my story for the week. And it's in West Virginia. Okay. Um so in nineteen twenty, I think it was, Conley T. Snidlow bought uh, a property at Lake Shawnee, West Virginia. It was about, it's about like, if you know where Virginia Tech is in Blacksburg, it's like an hour northwest of there. Um, between, you know, like it's, it's really close to the Virginia line. Um, and every time I said like Conley T. Snid, I, f- I felt like I was like introducing a Dr. Seuss book or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, Conley very... T. Snidlow started a fair. Um, so he decided he wanted to create this amusement park at this lake in West Virginia. There were all these coal workers that lived in the area. And so the amusement park was like for their families to come and enjoy and have fun and all this stuff. It had... Um, a couple of cement diving pools and swimming pools that he had just poured cement into, you know, and, and filled them with water. Um, it had two water slides. It had diving boards. It had a pond, but the pond wasn't supposed to be swam, swum, swimmed <laughs> in. <laughs> um, he would filter spring water through sand for the pond and the lake. And his slogan for the park, apparently, according to one article, was, you can boat and swim in drinking water. It's <laughs> like, oh, until no. the toddlers start pissing in it. Yeah, I'm sure oh, that's true. Oh, gosh. But um, there was a bathhouse and people could rent like wool bathing suits because it's the 20s. So they could rent wool bathing suits from the bathhouse for 15 cents. Wool. Okay. Yeah. So we need to bring a picture of a wool bathing suit. Oh, Randy and- can totally. Yeah. I mean, you know what? If you texted Randy right now, he could send us one right off. Those, no. they look like those leotards. Yeah. They're usually like in all the that old movies. Wool? They were like, yeah, they're wool. Oh my gosh, wool um, gets heavy. I mean, it absor- doesn't it absorb? Well, you know, Randy may maybe he'll correct me, but I'm pretty sure that was right. When I read it, it was a quote from the guy who ended up running the place, and so I was like, I, but I'm pretty sure Randy's told me that before. Oh wow. So I don't know but anyway he said that's what he said you could rent wool swimsuits for 15 cents a pop there was a ferris wheel there was a swing like the kind that um i mean they still have them in a lot of places where they've got like 40 little swings attached on chains and then the the middle part goes up and swings them around really really fast those things are fun and there was a speakeasy and a dance hall i mean so it was a pretty hopping place and apparently throughout the like 40s and 50s it was really popular so they would do like multi-day extravaganzas over 4th of July weeks. And in 1966, on the 4th of July, there was an 11-year-old boy that went missing at the park. So his family assumes that he went home. Like his mom thinks he just went home. <clears throat> his friends and his siblings are still there. So they, she sends somebody to go look for him and they find out he isn't at home. So they run back to the park and they kind of start a, okay, this is something to be worried about now. And they start looking around. And when they get back to the park and start looking around, they realize that he is in the pool. He has drowned. He got his arm stuck in a drain pipe. Oh, no. And so he, he drowned in the pool. And, and it was like 4th of July. So it was a right. it made Nobody, newspaper for sure. Right, yeah. Um, and now this is something, I'm not sure of the timing on this. Like some of the things I found said all three of these incidents happened in the same year in 1966. I don't know. At some point around there, sometime in the 60s, another child drowned in the lake, which wasn't supposed to be swim, swum in. Swam, swam in? Swam in? I think it might be swum. Any, I, I mean, okay. my English major friends, my grammar friends, please help me out on that one, Teresa. Um, that same year, apparently, a little girl was riding the swings, the one that mm-hmm. swings you out. Um, it, I mean, we know what these are. They're like, <laughs> they're like oh. little seats on chains. Yeah. And like, little small chains, little, too. Little, and I'm thinking this was put in in the 20s i don't know uh, whether they had safety anything i mean they may not uh, the, i remember one that like in one of the carnivals that i went to as a kid or one of the amusement parks where they did have like one little metal bar that was hooked around the chains on the sides and you could just lift it up the chains to get in and drop it down to you know, right. to get in and lift out. it up to get out and drop right. it down and um that they may have had that. They may not have even had that. I don't, oh, wow. I don't know what they had for safety, but anyways, there was this little girl who was riding it and there was a Coke truck making a delivery and it backed straight into the, <gasps> the um, line of the swings. Oh my God. And killed this little girl on oh impact. Oh God. Um, awful. And this all spelled the death of the park. Oh, um, I guess so. Understandably. Yeah. Um, 
so it closed down in 1966, apparently later that year. So uh, I don't know if all these things were like one, two, three or what, but right. they, they do say that that's the reason why the park closed down. Um, <clears throat> so the, the thing I haven't mentioned about it, there were two markers on the grounds of the park um, or near the property. One of them, uh, one of them said like it was a historical marker about, about a man named Mitchell Clay, who was the the head of the first family of white settlers in Mercer County, which is the county that they're in. Um, the other one is a stone on the ground that was put in place in 1937, and it reads, In memory of Bartley and Tabitha Clay, massacred by Shawnee Indians, August 1783, children of Mitchell and Phoebe Clay, first settlers of Mercer County, erected August 1937 on the exact site of their graves. And that's on the park property. Oh, wow. So was that like a feature? <laughs> I mean, what did they? I don't know. Like, I th- it get the impression that maybe in the 20s, like, they really downplayed all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it had to have been some kind of feature because the park opened in 1920 and the the thing was erected in the in 37. Right. So, I mean, they I, whether they made it like a, a historical attraction part right. of the park or whether they just respected it i'm not sure or not and then just or not yeah you know a flower bush or something by it or something exactly so um i looked i looked up the history on this um and uh you know it it said like i said that the etching said they were killed massacred it said by shawnee indians august 1783 which was does anybody know what 1783 was in American history? Because oh, I fuck. didn't. No. I should have, but I didn't. It's the end of the Revolutionary War. Oh, okay. Um, so that was the year the Revolutionary War ended. Um, and there's there's a website called Tribalpedia that I go to because I don't like calling Native Americans Native American. Like, we, right. you do this, too. It's like we try and use the actual tribe name, but you know. Um, so I was looking up the Shawnee and... I'm just going to read some of this verbatim from their site because it was, it was well said, but, um, like in the 1750s, almost all the Shawnee were living kind of in that area. Most of them were in the Ohio Valley, but British and French trading and military forces were trying to make allies of the various tribes. And there were wars between the British and the French, which were just kind of extensions of wars that were happening in Europe and not in the United States, but because there were people from the British and French that were in the United States, right. those wars kind of extended to the U.S. properties. And um, both sides were trying to recruit the tribes as allies, and that led to the French and Indian War, which was the 54 to 73, or 1754 to 63. Um, and the Shawnee in that battle, in those battles, fought as allies of the French, and the British won. And um, the Shawnee was one of the tribes that continued to resist the British, but then started coming into conflict with American colonials. Right. Because as they started, as, you know, Virginia started sending people out to, you know, claim land that wasn't theirs. Right. um, You know. And Daniel Boone, Kentucky, like, you know, we've talked about that North Carolina, Kentucky. We talked about that with like We Salted Molly and all that kind of stuff that these colonials were like encroaching into their lands. And so there was open warfare in like 1774. The Shawnee fought with the British in the Revolutionary War um, and they were fighting against like the colonials and the French against colonists and the French. So they had, they like changed allies depending on, I mean, cause they they really had their their own goals. Yeah. They were trying to stop people from colonizing their land right? and they would change, you know, but you know, these colonists are coming in and they're American colonists. So the French and the British are both from at different times, giving them like giving them arms and, you know, encouraging them to attack the colonists. So that's, so it's in this atmosphere, political atmosphere that Mitchell Clay decides that like, he's found the perfect homestead plot for his family of 14 Mm. and moves them out and sets up house on Lake Shawnee. Um, So he bought this by a land grant in 1774 and the area that he was in, it was called Clover Bottom, West Virginia, when he moved in. And um, in 1775, they started cultivating it. They did pretty well. They built this house. I found a picture that's purportedly his house. 
I don't know whether that's possible or not. All right. But um, it was pretty ramshackle, what I saw. But, you know, colonists, right. not a lot to go on. Um, Had to make he, it yourself. Exactly. Made it himself with the strong hands of his, like, strapping however 14. many sons he had birthed. Yeah. He had birthed. He had Through his urethra. Um, <laughs> the... Um, but he was, they were the first white settlers in that county. And they did well. They had, like, lots of different fields, livestock, that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> in August of 1783, Mitchell Clay left his sons, Ezekiel and Bartley. They had just brought in a whole bunch of grain, and they were supposed to be building fences around the grain so that the livestock didn't get to it. And their sisters were washing at the river, and Mom was inside with the babies. And um, then Clay went hunting, leaving them all to what they were supposed to be doing. Um, and while he was gone, a, a raiding party of 11 Shawnee came up on the property and they saw the teenage boys first, which, because it specifically identified them as teenagers, I think in the eyes of the Shawnee and in the eyes of the colonials, they were men. Right. I mean, I, I like, I think they're trying to maybe, you know, tug on heartstrings a, in a little different direction by calling them teenagers, but like you're in 13 the frontier, in the frontier. You're a man, you're a man and right. you're doing a man's work. And so they did see, and I'm, I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not Listen. trying to say, Hey, you should go kill people, but right. you know, it just saying they were men. Um, but, um, so they were outside building the fences. This raiding party of Shawnee comes up and there's a gunshot and Tabitha, one of the younger sisters, hears the gunshot from the river and runs up, towards where her brothers are while all the other sisters run towards the house. And she runs straight into the Shawnee party as they, they've already killed, they've shot and killed brother Bentley and they were scalping him. And oh. she ran up on that mm. and she tried to fight them apparently, oh, according wow. to these stories. Um, and she was stabbed multiple times and then she was also scalped. Mm. So she was killed and um, they were just, their bodies were left there. And, you know, mom, just immediately vacated the rest of the children. They had to run six miles to get to the next homestead. So, you know, they were just, she was just trying to save everyone. The other brother, Ezekiel, who was out there building fences, was taken alive by the raiding party. Um, and Mitchell Clay returned from his hunting trip, finds dead children in the yard, sees that the rest of his family is gone and thinks everybody's died. So he goes to the next homestead, discovers that some of his family's still alive, but hears the news that Ezekiel has been taken. And so he collects a bunch of other homesteaders and they go off in search of the Shawnee raiding party. And, um, he didn't realize that the raiding party split in half around a river and some went one way and some went the other. He chased the wrong part of the party. And while they were sleeping, his group came up on them. And the moment they opened their eyes in the morning shot many of them dead. Are we still on? Has our power gone out? No, we're still on. Okay. It's weird. Some of the lights went out. I know. I see that. It's not even the creepy part yet. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, <clears throat> so they came up on these, uh, they came up on this party. They killed many of the, the Shawnee warriors who had, who had raided the house. And, and some of, um, some of Mitchell Clay's other sons had come and, you know, wreaked vengeance on this party of Shawnee. I think they only killed three of the 11, but that may have been all that was on this, in this party. But there was a quote from just one source that said, because of the brutality of the deaths of the clay children, these two people, Edward Hale and William Wiley took from the dead Indians strips of their hides, oh. which they turned into razor straps and kept in their family position possession for generations as a oh battle my souvenir. God. So next time people want to call the Shawnee barbarians for taking scalps, they can think about what other people have done also. Mm. Um, but um, unfortunately the party that had Ezekiel made it all the way to Ohio and they burned him at the stake alive. That is what happened to that mm. other clay child. So um, uh, not a pretty history on this no. land. So that clay homestead is exactly the land where this amusement park is built. Oh, wow. And um, uh, the guy who did it may or may not have known all that history, but apparently somebody knew something over the course of its lifetime because of some of these monuments that were put out. But also not knowing this, apparently, in 1985, a guy named Gaylord White decides <laughs> to buy the properties back. Um, his father had worked at Lake Shawnee Amusement Park when he was 
a kid, I guess. And he hated to see it go to pot. They had sold off all the rides and stuff, but you know, the property was still there and, and the, the structures, I guess a lot of the structures, the pools and all that stuff was still there and just kind of going to waste. And they thought that they could make business out of it. So they wanted it to be like before and they wanted it to have kind of a historical ring to what it had before. So they, they wanted to buy swings and a Ferris wheel. <clears throat> So they found a Ferris wheel pretty easily and brought it. And then they, now I don't know if I believe this part of the story, but I'll tell it to you anyways. White says um, that he found swings for sale in New Jersey and um, he went up there, he loaded them up, he brought them back. And when he got back, he ran the serial numbers and discovered that the swings that he had bought were the same swings that used to be at the park. And I was like, wouldn't they be in pretty shitty shape by now right? or like out of code or something? But I, it's possible because if somebody else bought them straight from the operating amusement park and kept them up right. and maybe, maybe upgraded some safety features or something, they could have been the same swings. Maybe. Yeah. Courtney says things were made better, so they might hold up better. Um, but in, and I could see how that would be something that they would go for, you know, right. as this is our historical connection to the previous park. So he says that that's the same swing that, they had before um he added kitty rides he added bumper boats and um they did what the old park used to do they did like the july 4th extravaganza so in 1987 their july 4th they charged a dollar admission they were open with bands playing for 24 hours and they like had 10,000 guests come in wow which is probably a really horrible way to do business because they ended up going out of business in three years. Uh, like insurance rates go up. Imagine right. why, you know, because children die on swings. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, he, he went out of business after three years um, and the park rides were closed and I guess they didn't, they didn't sell any of them. They did keep the park rides there, but they were just kind of rusting over and there were trees growing up through them. But people started coming to see the abandoned park. Cause like I said, you know, Jessica sent it to me for a reason. Like that kind of photography has gotten pretty, it has over the course of lots of years been really popular. Right. And so people would come to see it, but they also came because they had heard like paranormal whisperings about mm. this property. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, and like kind of down the road, this, the people who owned the park ended up like, even though they closed the park, they started doing like campfire scary stories and they right. started doing like haunted Just tours remo- and yeah, stuff. Rebranded. Rebranded as, mm-hmm. and they did the dark carnival lake lake nightmare oh, kind so of thing yeah all that just like chick marks yeah exactly <laughs> hitting chick marks like let's do this and yeah uh, <laughs> and the, so some of the paranormal things people talked about they said that the swing seat where the girl died because like i said it's the same it's supposed to be the same swing but it would like while the other ones were standing still it would twist and turn by itself while people were watching um Gaylord White, the guy who bought it, and his mother both saw a child visit the park one time and have a conversation with an imaginary friend on one of the swings. Um, And the mom of the child said that she had kind of, you know, psych, you know, sensitivities, I guess. Sensitivities. Was it sensitive? Um, The thing is, he didn't ever tell people, like at the beginning when he first started letting people come in to look at it for whatever reason, he didn't start telling people which swing the girl died in. But people were always, like, gravitating towards that one. Weird. So that's that's what he says. Um, people have said that they can actually see her herself, that they've said that they've seen an apparition of the child in a roughly dress. Um, people have seen silhouettes of people on the Ferris car wheels mm-hmm. or Ferris wheel cars. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one visitor that took a photo of that the etched stone that talked about the graves of the two children from the colonial times. And they say that there was like the distinct shape of a person behind, like not an actual person, but like in the background, something shaped like a person looked like it was kind of breaking up the light or something. Um, so there have been a lot of like ABC and discovery channel. They've filmed paranormal investigative shows at the park before discovery channel. One of its investigators got stuck in the old ticket booth structure that was like still on the property. And it was like a push door and she was pushing and pushing and pushing. And she actually went into a panic attack and had to be taken to the hospital because she was so afraid of being stuck in this ticket. Oh, booth. Wow. Um, the um, people have said that they saw the little girl walking in a ruffled pink dress. Some people say she's covered in blood. Some people say not. Mm. Um, they, people here say that they've heard the sounds of Native American chants echoing through the trees is one of the things people say. Um, 
the guy who bought it, like Mr. White, he doesn't talk about any of any personal experiences that he've had, but he said that his father, who, like I said, his father worked at the property back when it was open, you know, in the twenties and thirties and forties, um, his dad had an encounter with the little girl. He said, dad was on the tractor mowing the field. And this was sometime in the nineties. Um, and he kept feeling a weight on his shoulders. He didn't know what it was. So one day he felt the weight and he turned around and the little girl from the swings was there. She was in a ruffled dress and she just appeared. He wasn't scared, but the only thing he could think of was, well, if you like this tractor so much, I'm going to give it to you. So he got off of it and he left it sitting there and it's still sitting there where he left it in the late nineties. Whoa. So they never moved the tractor. Dang. Um, they like, they opened that the That was property. a really nice way of saying like fucking take it. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> like, this shit. You can have it. <laughs> so they were like, there were fishing tournaments and stuff. And he, and so, you know, after they had closed down the park, had been closed for a while, the fishing tournaments weren't doing a lot of business. So he decided he was going to develop part of the land for another attraction or something else. And they brought in bulldozers and they started finding arrowheads and mm. pottery and um, artifacts and so they called Marshall University, who came in and started an archaeological dig, and it went for several years. And they found a lot of artifacts, and then they began finding human remains. Mm. And they found the remains of children in the plot of land. They, it said um, that the Shawnee Indians had inhabited the property during the Fort Agent historical period, and this was from a, a report that was released by the university, from 1000 AD to 1690 AD that that particular property had been Shawnee land and an infection really fucking long time. It's crazy. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about like, you know, when we talk about like tribes, like the Shawnee and the Creek and the Choctaw, and we say they were here before us. I don't think we think about the fact that they were here like fucking way Way, before us. Right. Like that they were here a lot longer than we have even since been here. Yeah. Right. So, um, there, so, an infection killed, they think maybe the flu killed mm. like 3,000 Shawnee children in the 1200s, wow. around sometime in the 1200s. And so the corpses that they'd found showed how the disease had progressed. And um, that's so interesting. It really is. So, but all of these, there were two, two Shawnee villages under the present day location of the park. And there were 3,000 children buried under the ground. So wow. when Mitchell Clay moved his homestead into Shawnee territory, he put it on the sacred grave of 3,000 children. They were like, "Uh uh-uh. And so, you know. Yeah, no wonder they were fucking pissed. Exactly. So this is like, that's why I think of this as like the absolute most cursed amusement park you could possibly, because it's like, it was on the burial ground, then the Clay family's murdered, then the Shawnee are murdered in vengeance, then this entrepreneur comes up and desecrates it 150 years later by putting an amusement park on it, and then three more kids die, and then they put another amusement park on it. There is not enough fucking sage in the world to cleanse that place. So that that guy who bought it did a good thing by closing it back down, even if it did for monetary reasons, but yeah, the absolute most cursed property. Again and again and again. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. Oh my gosh. What city is it again? It's in West Virginia and it's outside of Princeton, West Virginia. Princeton. Yeah, maybe we can find. I mean, I mean, you've already found photos of it, I'm sure. Yeah, I found some photos curious. and I can share. I mean, you know, the um, the story of the Clay family is, a, I guess, a famous enough like local story that there is even like a statue. And it may be in the city of Princeton that there's a statue called Agony in Stone of like two of the Clay family, like embracing after the Shawnee come and kill the rest of the family. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it's, you know, if you picture like the foot of Virginia, you know how Virginia goes mm-hmm. down towards the West and goes down into the foot. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of across the border there. So there's like, I think the George Washington national preserve or something like that is, is along the border and it's just the other side of that. Wow. So that's, crazy creepy as shit creepy as shit because you never know we lived um when we lived in tupelo tupelo was off the natchez trace which was a battleground during the civil war and Mm -hmm. we like actually lived on the battleground where our house was and you just i mean you know you're living on dead people Mm -hmm. you are living on dead people right now pretty much no matter where you're at Mm -hmm. there's dead people so be kind to them be kind to them (laughs) and also really freaky that our lights 
just went off yeah. midway through this tale. <laughs> so we and may be I, on top of dead people uh, right we now. We probably are on top of dead people right now. Yes, that was really freaking. So that's oh, it. So interesting. There's our connection on top of dead people. Yes. Beds and... Dead people in beds and dead people in the ground. In the ground. Oh, <laughs> Courtney's like, we can never escape. But this, this brings the question, though. So we have, I mean... Native American sacred burial grounds and like paranormal activity. But then you have this poltergeist pool of mice in your wall. <laughs> so where are the little mice hauntings and, and little things going on? Like why, why do not, we not have more of that? Like, maybe we just don't recognize maybe, it maybe, when it happens. Maybe only, yeah, maybe only other little mice recognize <laughs> it. And it's just like, little maybe, mice. you know, when they move in and bad shit happens to their children <laughs> and they have little mice clowns crawling out from under their beds <laughs> and they're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. We're going to live in the other wall. I don't know. I just like, why does, why does that another thing? Well, that's going to be the next children's book I write. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth. That is not a fucking mermaid. That's a dick. (laughs) It is a dick. It is a really weird looking dick, but it was a dick.